Well, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. And I wanna say welcome to everybody who is joining us online in your house, in your car, wherever you find yourself or at any of our physical campuses. For those of you who are gathered together, I just wanna say it is really, really good to be together. Like really good, not, not just because it feels good to you or to me or because this place or the room that you're in down in Waxar at Ballantyne, that your worship wasn't just amazing, but it's really good for more than just how it feels. I wanna explain myself with that, uh, with just a story to get us started. It's a story that begins in the year 57 AD. It's about 30 years after Jesus' death and his resurrection. We go in our minds, we travel across the oceans to a place in the Roman Empire, the seat of the Roman Empire, where there are about five or six little churches gathered together across the city of Rome, the seat of power. Kind of like here, we've got six campuses gathered together around Charlotte. And in that place, in these churches, were a group of people who were struggling and working to make being together good. Here's what I mean by that. There was pressure on these churches from the outside. They didn't fit into culture. They didn't fit into the way things were supposed to be. In that time in the Roman Empire, the world said that everything was about violence and pleasure and decadence, and that what you did was you just gave in and went along with the current and you enjoyed the show. And this little group of people who were following Jesus, they did everything that they could to stand out. In fact, the more that they leaned into their beliefs, the more that they leaned into their gatherings, to their faith, the more they stood out from the crowd. There was pressure for them to assimilate. But then there was pressure from the inside too, because they were all different. They had different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different belief systems. They, they came from the powerful and the powerless in society. Some of them were in the in-group and some were in the out-group. They had different ideas about how the world and Rome was supposed to work, about the way politics should go. They had different ideas about how to eat. In fact, what one group thought was the perfect appetizer to serve whenever they gathered in their little church, the other group thought was scandalous. So where to eat, what to eat, where to meet, who's leading, all of it was pulling at the very fabric of their gathering to say, you guys should be a part. They didn't know it, but pretty soon there would be more pressure. A pressure of a, a pandemic, a worldwide plague that would ravage the population that would come upon them. There'd be attacks from countries from outside and eventually they'd get pressed. And, and in that moment, this little group of Jesus followers, some made up of Jewish Christians, folks who had grown up in the church, who knew all the rules and all the way to follow things, but then had come to fall in love with and to follow this Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, they were leading the church at one point. And then some other folks who were Gentiles, just non-Jews, who had decided that they believed with this message of, of these Jewish Christians. They believed in this Jesus and they began to follow too. They made up the mix of this crowd. And five years before, the emperor Claudius had kicked all of the Jews out of Rome. He had said, you guys gotta get out of here. You're arguing too much about this Christ person. Person. Well, in that moment, the Gentile group, they began to take over the leadership of the church and they were like, woohoo, we get bacon again. That's just a little joke if you know anything about kosher. But five years later, a 17 year old emperor named Nero comes to the throne and he allows the Jews back in. 
And they walk back into a place that seems unfamiliar. The power has shifted. The dynamics are all different. And in a time of power grabs and power plays, suddenly they found themselves deciding, how are we going to survive? That was almost 2,000 years ago, and we're still telling their story. The last few months, maybe you've looked around like I have, and you've noticed some striking similarities, you know? I mean, everything in our world has attempted to pull us apart, to polarize us, say, choose sides, hurl insults and criticism, get more defensive. It's, it's all done that everything from a pandemic to an economic downturn to an election cycle that felt like it lasted for 10 years. And then we get to Tuesday and we still can't count all 17 of the people who live in Nevada's votes. And it drags on and on and on. And here we find ourselves, just like they did all those years ago, with a decision, a more important decision than the one that the nation made on Tuesday. The most, maybe the most important decision of our lives, will we stay like this? Will we move forward together? See, what I've noticed, and I've felt it, maybe you have too, is that in the last few months, we've gotten stuck because of you know, quarantines and shutdowns. Many of us feel we're just like paralyzed. Everything is on hold. Do you feel that way? Like, like you're not sure what to do about making decisions. You just feel almost that paralysis has even turned in some ways to just apathy, like whatever. And, and then we also are isolated. In some cases, physically, uh, some of you who are online right now, because of, of, of health issues and concerns and fears, you've been isolated for a really long time. And others of us, maybe physically we're not, but emotionally we've gotten that way. We've gone into echo chambers and into social media and only hanging with people who think like we do, and we've pulled apart, we've gotten isolated. And, and then I think the other thing that's happened is we've gotten self-absorbed, if I'm honest. You know, whenever things start to pull at us like that, we just start to think about ourselves. How do I survive? I'll just hunker down and it's all about me. And, and maybe that little voice in our head that says, gosh, you shouldn't trust, you should be cynical. You should be arrogant, you should gloat. You should put them in their place. Maybe that voice just tells you, you should binge watch Netflix and scroll the night away until you finally fall asleep in a thing that doesn't even give you rest. You know what I'm talking about? Have you felt that? The question that we have before us is the exact same one that this little group of Christians in Rome had. And I think today, the most important decision that you and I can make could change everything for us. Back then, a guy named Paul wrote a letter to them that we're gonna look at today that helped them know how do I move forward? How do we move together into the future that God has called to? How do we change the world? Because it did in fact change the world. Their reaction to the moment changed everything for them and for their nation and for you and me. It's why we're here right now. So my question for us is, will we do the same? Will we choose to get through this together or will we allow everything that wants to to pull us apart? As we look at this, we're gonna be looking in Romans chapter 12 at just a few verses, nine through 13. I don't wanna spend a, a ton of flipping around all over the Bible. I want us to focus in really narrowly and just see what would God have to say to us, just like he had to say to them, that might give us wisdom to move forward. We've been in this series for a while called Cutting Through the Noise, Finding Wisdom. And we've been looking at Proverbs. And today I'm gonna to get out of Proverbs for a moment and speak just on this one, one small letter of, of Paul's because I think it's real important to help us know what to do next. And what Paul actually says throughout this letter is get back 
to the basics. Let me show you what he says. The question before us is what story do we want to tell about 2020 from here on out? When your kids ask, when my kids ask, how did the end of 2020 go? What 2021 start like? What story is it that we want to tell? I'm asking if you're able out of reverence reading the scripture, wherever you are, online, in person, at one of our campuses, would you stand with me? We're going to read Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. Here's what Paul says to them and to you and me today. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their need and pursue hospitality. This is God's word. You can be seated. Paul tells them and tells us it's time to get back to the basics. See, anytime in life when things get uncertain, when things get too complicated, when things feel like they're not working anymore, we know that the best thing to do is to go back to the basics. This is true if you're a golfer. When your, uh, when your game gets all out of control, golfers in here, I, I hope that I'm doing you justice with my very limited golfing skills. But um, whenever that happens, we go back to the basics, don't we? We start with your stance, you get down to your grip, you start to think about your takeaway, you start to think about your hip turn, your follow through. When things are coming apart or you're not sure what happened, you go back to the basics. Same is true for musicians. These guys and ladies who lead us in, in worship every week are incredible. At every campus, it is amazing the level of quality leadership that we have in worship. But you know what? Whenever they feel like things aren't working anymore, you know what they do? They go back to the basics. They start practicing scales again. When your financial world gets out of control, right back to the basics, set a budget. Give, save, live. 10% I give, 10% I save, live on the 80%. That's how I get out of this mess. It's always back to the foundational elemental principles whenever we find ourselves unsure of what to do next. It's what we started this whole series out with Proverbs. In one, Proverbs 1.7, it says, the fear of the Lord or the awe of God, as we said, is the beginning of wisdom. That's back to the basics. Just who is God and what does it mean that he's right and how do we then live in response? Paul, to the Roman Christians and to us, says, here's the basics for you. Love each other without hypocrisy. I mean, you're going to really, really love each other. Just before he wrote this, uh, this passage, this chapter, he spent 11 chapters in Romans outlining probably the most significant and clear and beautiful picture of the gospel message, the good news that we have in Christ. It's everything from how we are rescued by grace through our faith. It's about how God has done this and adopted us in him. It's about the fact that he has chosen us before the foundation of the world and given everything of himself so that we could find hope and rescue and relationship again. He goes all the way through all of that stuff. And he says, in light of all of that, Here's how you should live. You should love each other without hypocrisy. Now, I think it's kind of interesting that he makes this perfect argument about how God has loved us first. 
And then he says, now I want you to act like God did. I want you to not just love with words. I want you to love with demonstration. God's love is always actionable. In Romans 5.8, he says this. This is like the big message. He goes, um, in this, God demonstrates his love for us, that in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we, and that's you and me, while we were still treacherous rebels, wanting to kick God out of his seat so that we could have it, wanting to do things our way, saying, I don't agree, I don't believe you, I don't like the way you're trying to be the boss of me. While all that's happening, God says, man, I love you, I'll die for you right now. He demonstrated with action his love for each and every one of us. It says that he adopted us and that now as children that he looked at, and you can imagine like going to an orphanage, some of you have adopted children before you really get this in a way that many of us who haven't don't. In fact, this is uh, Orphan Awareness Month and this month we're gonna be celebrating and bringing some new ideas and some new ways for us as a church to engage in the issue of adoption and in the injustice of orphans. I can't wait for you to see that a little bit later in the month. But in that same way, God says, hey, I chose you. I I went into the orphanage and I saw you and you weren't the cutest kid and you weren't the one with all the potential and the promise and I looked at you and I loved you and I said that one's mine and I took you home by sending Christ my son to die in your place. It's an incredible thing that Paul says in Romans. He says in light of all that now I want you to love each other without hypocrisy. Now it's kind of funny to me that he he says let your love be without hypocrisy. He assumes that they're loving. He just assumes that it's kind of fake. Like this must have been the Southern part of Rome, you know, the bless your heart part of the Roman empire where we can say all the words and we can show up like this and we can wave and we can be nice and we can, but then as soon as we get in the car, it's like, can you believe what she did? Did you see what she was wearing? I mean, you know how they voted? Unbelievable. But hey, sweetie, so good to see you. I'm blessed, I am blessed. Right? It's like Paul is going, don't love like that. I want you to love with action. I want you to put your back into it when you love this way. How, what does that look like? What, what even is love? Here's my definition. Love is to will and to work for the good of someone else. Love is willing and working for the good of, to desire someone else good and then to go to work, putting things into place, sacrificing of yourself, making it happen so that you can bring good into their life. Paul says, you do that, you get back to the basics of that and we can fix all these little problems that you got going on outside and we can fix the problems you got going inside. Love the way God loved you. Love looks like choosing to know and to hear someone. It's choosing to listen rather than just talk. And I think there's a lot of talk. In fact, I believe that's why Paul actually says this thing about hypocrisy. The word for it is, is like, hey, don't put on the mask and just play the part. See, some of us haven't even been loving with our words lately, but all right, we got a new start today. We can get back on the horse. We can love well that way. But he says, I don't want you to just love with words. You got to love with everything. And he says, here's the way that you're going to do it. I want you to show honor to each other. That's the next part of that verse. In fact, he says, outdo each other with honor. Have a competition with who can give the most honor away. You know what honor is? The word in Greek here is, is, is uh, an idea of placing a high value on something. 
it's, it's saying that they're really, really worth it. And what Paul says is that you are to treat each other as if the other is worth more than you. Their opinions, their perspectives, not that you have to agree. You've just got to say they are equally or more valuable than even mine is. Now, look, I know this is pushing us right now. I, I know it. I see the sweat. I got some sweat happening right now. This is treacherous territory to talk about on a Sunday after an election where half of the country feels one way and half feels the other. And you know what I love about this church is that probably half of this room feels one way and half feels the other. Some are relieved and some are grieved. Some are cheering and some are fearing. That's all happening in this place. And I love it because I think it's exactly what God would do. There is nothing supernatural about being able to gather in a group with people who all think exactly the way that you do. But what God is doing right here and what he was doing in Rome in the early first century was putting together people who said, we will not be divided by things that are petty and smaller than us. We are united under King Jesus. That is what matters most. That's why we'll love, that's why we'll honor, and we can do it here today too. Outdo one another with honor. Know something about the other person. There's a story of this rabbi, and one of his young students comes up to him one day and he says, Rabbi, I just love you so much. And the rabbi looks at him, he says, you know what hurts me? The student gets really like, kind of ticked off. He's like, I, I don't get it. I'm trying to tell you how much you mean to me. Why are you asking me confusing and irrelevant questions? Like, do I know what hurts you? And the rabbi says, look, this is neither confusing nor irrelevant. How can you love me if you don't know what hurts me? This is the product of listening, of loving with our whole self and not just our words. With loving genuinely and honestly. It's when we move close enough to know the burden that somebody else has and then to say, I will carry that burden with you in a moment like this right now. It's choosing to love and to honor in that way. To, to honor someone is like to, to treat them like a celebrity. And it's funny, in the Roman culture and in today, we always have an easy time finding the best seat or giving the most deference or spending the most time with somebody that's a celebrity, you know, even if it's on a small scale. If LeBron James walked in, I don't know, maybe not LeBron James, no Lakers fans, anybody? Okay, uh, uh, whoever, pick your, pick your athlete or your entertainer. If they walked in here today, you would probably be tempted to treat them a little bit differently than you would David. David's great, by the way. But, but Paul is after saying, treat everybody like a celebrity. That's the way that you honor and you demonstrate love. Folks, what would happen if every week when people walked in these doors, and let me, let me just speak right now to the folks in the room who are followers of Jesus. The people who walked in these doors that feel like they don't fit, they're kind of nervous. Some of you are in that place. You feel like, gosh, I haven't been to church or I haven't, I haven't lived well in so long. I don't know what's gonna happen. What if we looked at them? This is what our hospitality and connections teams do at every campus. They look at them and they say, man, you are worth it. You're valuable. Let me show you a seat. Let me help you find your way around. Let me get you connected. What do you need? That's the way we should be operating all the time. These are the basics for how we get out. But that sounds really good, right? Love each other, honor each other. How do we do it? Not like practically, but like how do we have the motivation, the internal drive, the inspiration, the compelling nature to say, okay, Paul, you're right. Okay, God, you're right. I will do. How do we muster that up? Because my guess is there are people in the room today that just feel like I'd rather just retreat. That's why I'm so proud that we're here. 
Because you could have stayed home and thrown a party or curled up in the fetal position, whichever way you feel this week. But you didn't. You chose to be together just like this early church did. Here's how we do it. Paul gives it in three short commands. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Persevere in prayer. A couple of weeks ago, I was out of town and I got a chance to uh, go on a hike with, a, with somebody, a friend of mine. Um, I was in a different city and he said, look, if you'll wake up at 5.15 tomorrow morning, I'll take you on a hike and you will be able to see at the end of this hike, one of the most incredible views that you have ever seen in your life. You'll be able to see the ocean. You'll be able to see this city. It will make sense of everything that's around you. It is breathtaking. And I've been there and I want you to come with me. So 5.30 in the morning, we're driving to the coffee shop so that my eyelids actually can open and my heart can pump blood. And we head on out and the whole time I'm like, man, he better be right. <laughs> this better be worth it. Cause what, I mean, you can kind of look at me and tell like, I'm not exactly the hiker type, you know what I mean? Um, but, but I said, yes, because I trusted someone who had been there before that it was gonna be worth everything that I saw. This is what rejoicing in hope looks like. See, here's the thing. When we are joyful in hope, be joyful in hope. Here's how we get started on being able to love and honor. When we do that, we, we place our joy, we find our joy, we actually cultivate our joy in that which is the most real thing. Humans are made to hope. It is an instinct of our souls to hope. We wanna hope, we have to hope in something. The problem usually is that not that we hope too much, it's that we place our hope in things that just aren't certain. Like that's the secret, that's the key, is you need to hope in something that's an absolute guaranteed safe bet. But here's what happens on a weekend like this, is we walk in and we go, man, things did not go the way that I thought they were gonna go. Or we go, yes, things went exactly the way that I thought they were gonna go. And it doesn't matter what the topic is, I mean, we can choose election, but it could be whatever. Your job, your relationship, that girl that you finally had the courage to ask out, she said, yes, I know, good stuff, good on you. But all those things are what we place our hope in for a moment. And here's what you find out. Four years later, four months later, pandemic hits. We rolled out a mission and vision at this church on March 11th. And it was amazing. Were any of y'all here for that party? A vision night, it was incredible. There was like, people were dancing. The, everything was going nuts. One day late, we handed out these shirts that said everybody in, because that's our mission. We want everybody in. We wanna build bridges that connect everybody to dynamic life in Christ. We handed out these shirts and the next morning we woke up and they said, yeah, everybody in, everybody inside for the next eight months. <laughs> when your hope is in a campaign, a church one or a political one or a school one, when your hope is in anything less than what Paul describes in the first 11 chapters of Romans, the hope that God has said, I have prepared for you a place and it is gonna blow your mind. When you get to the top of this hike, you are gonna be unbelievably breathtaken by the view. It is called a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. And I've chosen you and adopted you in Christ. I've made you my own. I've forgiven all of your sin, that shame and that guilt and all that that you feel, you don't have to care anymore, I got it. And I'm gonna give you forever with me and everything that you think you're missing out on right now, it's gonna be taken care of, it's gonna be fulfilled. When you get that as, the, as the, the, the cornerstone of your hope, the bedrock of hope, when that's what we actually have our belief in, 
you can get through anything. You can choose to love other people. Because here's the problem. We, we say, but yeah, right now, this is what I'm feeling. You know, and it feels, what? It feels real. It's a disappointment. It's a loss. It's uncertainty about my finances or about my relationship. It's a diagnosis and it's, it's real. And I know it is, it is real. But you know what it's not? It's not real. It's not the most real. It's not the realest real thing that there is. The realest real truth is that God is so ready to accept you and welcome you into his kingdom forever. And he has made that possible. And now he says, come with me. You can get through these moments. They're real, but they're just lowercase real. They're not this. Because what happens is when we place our hope in that, then, and I don't have an eraser, so I'm using my hand, but, and then we go, okay, so fine. This moment, it, it passed and it didn't work out, but the next one. So um, now it's about, I'm gonna, I'm gonna place it in my, my job. And then, and that feels real, but it's not real. And if you keep putting your hope in those things, you will be disappointed and you will not be able to love. And here's why. Because when we have our hope deeply, our joy deeply found, our hope deeply planted in what God says is real, you can live freely. You can love recklessly. Because not everything is riding on this moment. You can choose to let someone else go first. You can honor them and make them more valuable. When our joy is found, when we focus on that kind of hope, the really real, you find the power to be able to love. See, in the Roman Empire at this time and right now, it's all about the love of power, isn't it? It's about being right. And Paul says, not with you. It's gonna be about the power of love with you. I'm gonna watch you turn a nation upside down because you love and honor this way. First, we rejoice in hope and I gotta run. Second, patient, be patient in trouble. He says, be patient in affliction. Uh, the word for affliction uh, is tribulation in some, uh, some of the translations comes from the word tribulum, which means it's, it's this uh, device that was meant to crush corn into flour. And so what it really means is like pressure. Be patient when the pressure is coming. My friend on this hike, uh, he didn't tell me how hard it was gonna be, by the way. So we get started and it's early morning and my coffee's about halfway done and it's kind of working. Um, but I, we get like, you know, maybe a third of the way done and I'm like, well, is the top somewhere close? <laughs> this guy, I mean, I got knee problems, I got physical stuff. And I'm just like, are we almost there? And he's like, um, we got about an hour left. I'm like, what in the, how did you do this to me? He didn't tell me how hard it was going to be. Sometimes folks, I think that's a problem that we have with life. Trouble, pressure is the natural experience of humans. Jesus said it. In this life, you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. In this life, you're gonna experience things not go, you're gonna experience the real, not go the way you want, but take heart because I've got real waiting for you. Sometimes I think we just need to be told, like, life's gonna be hard. Where are my teenagers in the room? Life is going to be hard. <laughs> it's not gonna go the way that you want. And you have a choice in that moment. Do I choose to endure? Do I choose to be patient? Do I choose to set my eyes and focus on what's the most real thing in the world? Or do I choose to give up? I wanted to give up on my little hike. I really did. 
I thought a couple times we kind of rounded a curve and I saw like through some trees, a little bit of the ocean. I'm like, that's good enough. Let's just stop here. And what my friend said is like, no, no, this is not enough. You can't wait. You're not going to believe it. Just keep going. One more step. I was taking this cycle class not long ago. Again, let's add this to the list of things you don't believe about me right now, hiking and cycling. But I'm taking this cycle class and this lady says this weirdest thing. She's like, how do we learn to endure? And I'm like, I don't know. And she goes, by enduring. And I'm like, that's stupid. And then she said really something. She was like, we are united in sweat. And I'm like, that's gross. Gosh, can't we be united by more than sweat? But you know what? She was right. The way that you learn to endure is by enduring. It's by looking at that path and saying, I'm gonna take one more step. I might need to take a break today and kind of just rest for a second, but I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna take another step and I'm gonna take a step with you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my effort energy into loving you again, even though, man, I don't want to. Bless your heart. We learn to endure by enduring. And in that patient, see, your pressure is not pointless. The pressure that we feel drives the roots of our joy in hope down deep and deep and deep until the point comes when next time you face something that's really hard, you go back and, and you've trained yourself to remember what's really real, what God is ultimately after the most true thing about you and the pressure just doesn't seem as great. So we rejoice in hope. We're patient in affliction or trouble. And then finally, we're constant in prayer. You ever notice how prayer gets more intense the more trial you're experiencing? You know, you can kind of get in one of those ruts. I can, where I'm just like, I'm saying my prayer list, uh, but after a while, like there's not as much heart in it. And then something happens that I can't control that is pressure me from the outside and suddenly I get really good at praying. You know what I'm talking about? Where you find yourself like you're praying all the time when you drive to work, when you sit in your office, when you get home in the driveway before you walk in, like you're praying. That, that's what's possible. And when we pray like that, when we learn to be constant in prayer, to be instant, one of the translations say, when we pray like that, we find out that prayer is breathing for the soul. That's what you were made for. Communion with God, your creator. Uh, right towards the end of my little hike, I was like, done. And I mean, I'm like this. And the guy who's clearly way better shape than me, he's like, seriously, come on, you're, I mean, you're a big dude. Why don't, why don't we walk? And I'm just struggling. He's like, okay, just breathe. Let's just breathe for a second. Don't even worry about what's, just breathe. The in and out exhalation of oxygen came into my heart and it moved through the blood to my muscles and I was able to get finished up that hike. That's prayer. If you wanna continue, if you wanna get back to the basics, not if you want to, look, some of you don't want to, some of, I don't want to every day either. How about this? Not if we wanna get back to the basics, if we will commit to doing that together if we will find our hope in the most real thing and find joy in that, if we will choose to endure and if we will become a people of prayer, we're in the process right now, our staff and council of elders have been praying and fasting for this church for the last few weeks. And in just a couple of weeks, we're gonna ask you to join us in a church-wide united in prayer for a few weeks at the end of this year to just say, God, come do whatever you will, whatever you want. Make us into whatever you want. Show us the path. We were ready to follow. If you'll join us in that, I'm telling you, things could be completely different. Everything could change for this church, for this city, maybe for our nation. Do you believe that? 
Because we have that hope, because we have that confidence, that faith in the one who says, I determine what's real, not your moment. Guys, if we do this, the story that we tell 2,000 years from now, the people tell about us in this moment could be like that story of that early Roman church. So I wanna invite you to join us in prayer. See, praying for one another is one of the best ways to love and honor somebody. So I'm gonna ask you to do this today. You got your phone with you. If, if Take a snapshot of this or do it right now. I'm gonna say, if you wanna join with us in prayer, have someone pray for you, would you text your prayer to the number that's on the screen? 888-217-3471. Let me help you get started. Let's get going with prayer right now. And then this week, We'll pray for you and we'll connect with you and, and interact with you. But this week, you start every day beginning with rehearsing what you have hope in. Every single day this week. And then, and then you look at your day and you say, I'm gonna love somebody and I'm gonna take one more step forward. I'm gonna keep going. And you get patient, you get endurance in your trial. And then you say, we're gonna pray. Guys, if we do that, I'm telling you, there is nothing, nothing, nothing that can keep us from seeing God's kingdom expand. Because it's Jesus' mission over our agenda every single time. It's his kingdom. It's the love of his people over the love of party every single time. Folks, we have a chance to make a statement and the world needs it. The kingdom of God is not of this world, but it is for this world. You and I together, loving, honoring, sticking together, walking through this, we can show people the real hope that they need right now. Will you be part of it? Will you say yes? I wanna pray for us right now. So I'm gonna ask you to just close your eyes and. Begin your, your time of prayer right here. Father, your word in this letter from Romans, it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or pandemic or economics or unrest or uncertainty? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So Father, I pray right now for our church, for every person who is a part of Forest Hill, online, in a campus, in this room, listening later, Father, would you help us to get back to the basics? Would you give us the spirit-empowered ability to love well? When the world says we shouldn't, God, would you empower us, would you breathe into us your love for each other and for this world. I pray for those who are uncertain and struggling today and fearful. God, would you remind them of what is real? Would you invade hearts and minds? And would you breathe peace? I pray for those who are excited would you also do the same and have, have them not think that this moment is everything, would you remind them of what's really real? It's your kingdom, it outlasts it all. God, would you give us passion to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? And would you keep us together? For your sake, Jesus, and in your name, we pray these things.